The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Hello, you're listening to The Views Room, brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Jennifer Saba. For this edition, I'm joined by my colleagues Anna Shemansky, live in the studio. Hello, Anna. Hello. And Gina Chan, dialing in from Palo Alto. Hello, Gina. Hey, guys. All right, welcome to you both. So let's get right to our topic then, U.S. trade. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about NAFTA 2.0 and what's happening with China. So let's start with um, NAFTA 2.0, Gina, as we uh, decided to call it, because the actual name USMCA is really bad. <laughs> NAFTA is just a lot, it's a lot easier to say. Um, but it looks like Congress is poised to pass this trade agreement with Canada and Mexico, which seems pretty unreal given the current climate in Washington. So on the very same day that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said the chamber struck a deal with the White House over NAFTA 2.0, also she formally charged President Donald Trump with articles of impeachment. So there's it's kind of this whiplash happening here. Gina, can you kind of uh, unwind this and explain, you know, why uh, there were the Democrats are working with him on, on one side and then, you know, not on another? Sure. Well, and as Pelosi said, just before she announced the NAFTA 2.0 deal um, on a hot mic, said that it was a very busy day <laughs> for her and for her fellow members. Just before the NAFTA announcement, um, had another press conference, as you say, announcing the articles of impeachment. So they got to this point after months of arguing over enforcement of labor standards, which was a big issue for the unions, which are um, the backbone of the Democratic Party. And they really wanted to secure labor's support in order to push that deal through. So finally, uh, they managed to get Mexico to agree to third panel reviews and inspections. Um, the original ask was to have U.S. inspectors themselves go to factories and and do the due diligence uh, on to see whether they were um, actually adhering to some of the labor standards in the New Deal. Um, Mexico said that was a violation of their sovereignty, but then agreed to this compromise. And unions like the AFL-CIO signed off on it, which allowed uh, Pelosi and the Democrats to move forward. The, the thing that kind of strikes me about this is that, um, I, I mean, Washington is completely divided right now. But on this, the Democrats and it, it, at least um, the Republicans and, and the you know, trade representative uh, Lighthizer, they're on the same page. Um, is that is that true? And kind of what they, they seem to be kind of both going for the same thing. Yeah, on this issue, they were actually on the same page. And Lighthizer is much more of um, like minded with the Democrats on trade than he is with a lot of Republicans who are much more uh, advocates of free trade, or at least they were. Uh, even having said that, it did take a while for them to come to this agreement. Um, and it was going to be hard for any president, frankly. So the White House does deserve credit for getting the Democrats on board because NAFTA was already a bit of a toxic issue, especially in swing states like Michigan. So it was going to be a, a long haul anyway. Um, but on, on this issue, they had a meeting of the minds. And I think for the Democrats, they also wanted to show that they could get uh, policy issues uh, across the finish line, despite all of the drama around the impeachment. 
and and I think two things here, right? On the one hand, I think part of the reason they probably got it through, you can tell me if this makes sense, is because this is actually kind of important. It's not that it's not that getting NAFTA through was going to change anything, but not getting NAFTA or, or NAFTA 2.0 through, in fact, could have a negative impact because it is going to reduce investment, not only in, in Mexico, but also in the United States. Yeah, that, that's part of it. I mean, um, the uncertainty around... Um, whether this was going to go through, especially for automakers and others that rely on the um, the three countries supply chain, uh, would have definitely had an effect on business investment. Um, they did have a bit of a fallback in this case, where uh, if this was delayed, then they had the old NAFTA to at least rely on. But the um, the uncertainty was was definitely um, hanging over a lot of companies. And isn't there also the the possibility that you had some kind of Democrats from moderate districts who may have really pushed for this because they could get pushback from the impeachment and they want to be able to show their constituents, hey, look, I'm still willing to work with this administration when I think it's in the best interest of the country. Yeah, and I think that's what Pelosi emphasized as well um, when she got questions about, you know, why are you giving Donald Trump a win, especially with everything else going on? And um, she made a point to say, you know, this is a dramatically different deal than the original NAFTA or what the administration had um, initially agreed to with Mexico and Canada. And if it's good for workers, then it was something that they were going to get behind and leave politics aside. So, Gina, let's talk about the other trade issue that is still looming with the United States, and that is um, the trade war with China. Um, We have a deadline that we're coming up against. It's a a December 15th deadline that um, basically if, I don't know, I've totally lost track of what's going on, but if they don't, (laughs) if if phase one or chapter one or whatever they're calling it, if it doesn't happen, then um, the possibility that um, Donald Trump will slap, what was it, like 15% tariffs on $160 billion worth of um, stuff or again, I've lost track. Pretty much all the stuff that is left. (laughs) Right. what, What is left? You sort of argued that that's really the kind of thing to keep an eye on um, and that that's really going to move the needle more so for the markets, et cetera, than NAFTA 2.0. Yeah. I mean, as I said, even if the um, the latest NAFTA deal got delayed, um, they still had the old agreement to at least fall back on. Uh, but with China, they, they didn't really have any sort of plan B um, if the negotiators don't come to an agreement, then the tariff war will escalate again, as you say, on December 15th, which will hit about $160 billion in Chinese imports. And this is a lot of things that affects consumers, uh, whether it's toys or clothing, um, mobile phones, laptops, all the things that you could, you know, basically buy it at a Walmart um, would probably get hit. And so a lot of economists have been watching this and um, seeing what could happen. And even I think the president himself doesn't know as he as he often um, does until the very last minute. So this could be another nail biter. Yeah, because there's, you know, speaking of whiplash, as I brought up um, earlier in the program, I mean, 
they've been whiplashing around on this issue as well. I mean, it seems like every couple of hours I see something that says, um, oh, it looks like they're going to, you know, progress is being made on signing phase one. And then, you know, I'll, I'll see something else that says, no, that's not right. So, I mean, if you could peer into your crystal ball, I mean, wh- what do you <laughs> think is going to happen? I think the most likely thing, because both sides um, really don't want this to escalate if if they can avoid it, is that the December 15th deadline gets kicked down the road again. Um, It was already supposed to happen, I think, in October, and it got delayed uh, to December, given the fact that I think there's still some outstanding issues over how much uh, farm goods China's going to buy, whether in exchange for that, the U.S. will uh, eliminate some of the tariffs that are already on the books um, are, are things that people are still trying to work out. And one of the main negotiators, uh, the U.S. trade rep, Bob Lighthizer, has also been tied up with NAFTA 2.0. So all that is kind of um, hurt the progress that could have been made on the talks. And um, I think the deadline will will likely get kicked down the can again. And I think it's interesting because I feel like the whole agricultural products part of it, the kind of like, and soybeans, that was seen as the easier part, right? You know, that that's not the forced tech transfer and all of that. Like, what does it say that we can't even get to a deal with, you know, soybeans? Yeah, no, it's been really interesting to see how China has played this because you would think that would be a pretty easy thing to to do and to sort of call it a day and get this over with. Um, but I do think that they are trying to drag this out a bit because they want to put Trump in a position where he's going to be squeezed with the um, upcoming November 2020 elections and try to get him to a place where China really won't have to make any big changes on those more complicated fronts on on tech force technology transfers on intellectual property theft and sort of get away with just, you know, buying a bunch of soybeans and pork products and what have you and then um, calling it a win. It seems like, you know, Trump at a certain point will almost certainly want some type of win, as you say, going into the election. But I'm curious the power that Lighthizer has, right? Because he clearly wants there to be a real deal. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And, and if there's disagreement between them, do you think ultimately it doesn't matter Trump wins? Well, I think, you know, throughout all this, um, Lighthizer is definitely the one who has been pushing uh, for a more substantive deal. He's the one who's resisting taking off even some of the tariffs, uh, even if China buys some agricultural goods, because he sees that as continued leverage to get uh, some of these bigger changes on the tech issues. But in the end, it's not his call. He works for Trump, and Trump will make that final decision. Uh, So even if Lighthizer tries to um, stand in the way, as he has in the past, um, Trump's eagerness for sort of the big photo op, especially as the November uh, 2020 date approaches, um, I think will probably win out in the end. So Lighthizer's on his own deadline too, then basically. Yeah, exactly. And he has, you know, an ally in, in Peter Navarro, the White House trade advisor, he's going around pitching why there should actually be even more tariffs uh, on China. So he's definitely whispering in Trump's ear as well. But Trump cares a lot about the markets when he announced that talks could go past the election. Uh, We saw a 400-point drop in the Dow. Um, That alone, I think, spooked Trump a bit. 
And he's trying to figure out a way to sort of square this, but to get China um, to at least pretend to give him something uh, so he can spin this as a victory for himself. Yeah, but I have a question about that, too. So if you do get to that kind of small phase one where essentially China is agreeing to buy some agricultural products, how different will that be from where we actually were before this whole mess even started? Um, I mean, it it wouldn't be that different. I mean, we've seen um, a huge drop in agricultural purchases from China with the start of this tariff war. Um, It was around $20 billion a year or so um, under the Obama administration, and it's fallen back by almost around 70, 80 percent, depending on uh, which uh, time frame you're, you're looking at. So a lot of it would just really go back to the status quo. I mean, I think China will have to make some vague promises on IP theft and tech transfers, but nothing that will really force them to make structural changes the way others have been pushing for. And and also thinking about the election, do you think that, I mean, obviously, there's no way for any of us to know this, but do you think that there would be any idea that the Chinese government would prefer to work with Trump versus any of the other candidates? So do you think there's any idea that that election deadline could actually, you know, help Trump in any way? Yeah, in some ways, I mean, China, I think, would not want to deal with an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders, who are actually much tougher on China than Trump is. Um, And it goes beyond trade. It would touch on human rights and and other issues that Trump has not really uh, been that critical of China on. So that's definitely in, um, in their back pocket. But I think... They feel like if they can string Trump along, though, a little bit longer and sort of get him to, you know, maybe the first quarter or so of um, of 2020, maybe make a deal then um, that that will also put Trump in a position where he's feeling pressure to to get a deal that he can also sell. Um, partly to distract also from the impeachment proceedings um, and that that is would be the best way for uh, for Beijing to get what they want. Hmm. OK, well, um, Gina, I'm sure we will have you back on to talk about this topic because I, I don't think it's going away. <laughs> yeah, if that keeps on getting probably 2020 and beyond. <laughs> so uh, thanks for dialing in and uh, taking us through that. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our show for this week. I would like to thank our guest, Gina Chun. And hats off to our producers, Freddie Joyner and Andrew D'Antonio. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fix. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. And don't forget to tune in next week for another edition.